I believe in bringing your true self to the table wherever you go, like whatever avenue you're in. Hey everyone, welcome to Nerdin' About. I'm Space Michael, and with me as always is someone who we've heard from previous episodes, loves to knit, and for my birthday, knitted me a wonderful toque, and that would be the rat detective, Dr. Kaylee Byers. Oh, hi, yes, I did knit you a toque. Is it fitting you? Because it's made of alpaca, and I'm worried that it's going to eventually just slouch down to your shoulders. Well, I'm generally very hot, so the toque is going to wait until like, we get into the winter months, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm ready to to pull it out, you know, wear that alpaca with pride. Well, you're just going to be so fashion. And you know what else? Today, we're also going to get into a little bit of fashion. So today, uh, we are joined by Sean Hercules. Sean is a PhD candidate at McMaster University, where he studies breast cancer. And in addition to that work, Sean also transforms to Miss Robin Diamonds in drag to challenge cis heteronormative stereotypes in science. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? Hey, I am great, actually. I'm great. How are you? You know, I'm doing pretty good. I had a bit of a hectic day, but I'm starting to I'm starting to come down. So Sean, to start off, how did you come to work in breast cancer research for your PhD? So before I started at McMaster, I was living in Barbados. So I spent most of my life in Barbados up until this point, and I did my undergrad in biochemistry and chemistry and then I pursued a Master of Public Health. After my Master of Public Health, I was doing research at the university and I very randomly met my now supervisor. She was in Barbados collecting some data for her breast cancer project and I was recruited while she was in Barbados on that trip. Maybe let's then talk a little bit about your project. So you're, you're specifically working on breast cancer research. And for folks who aren't familiar, can you tell us a little bit? Let's get basic. How many people are affected by breast cancer? Yeah, lots of people are affected by breast cancer. And it really depends on like which part of the world you're from. But incidence rates are increasing in developing countries compared to developed world. And one thing about breast cancer in general, like we started to see that mortality rates have declined, which is great. But what we do see is that there is a difference in how these breast cancer rates appear for different groups of people. So in the US specifically, incidence rates are higher in white women than black women. However, mortality rates are higher in black women compared to white women, which is surprising, you know, if the incidence is higher in white women, why are more black women dying? Mm -hmm. So a lot of researchers are postulating that this could be due to social economic status, access to health care, all of these social factors, which do make sense, you know, if you don't have access to health care, your chances of dying from breast cancer or any disease would be higher, which is what we do see in the US. But even when we break down breast cancer by the types, like different subtypes, um, so there are subtypes of breast cancer, we see that the most aggressive subtype of breast cancer is actually more prevalent in Black women in the US, which can't be fully explained um, by social factors. 
So that's where my project comes in. I'm trying to investigate why this form of breast cancer is so prevalent in Black women, specifically women of African ancestry. So if we look at the transatlantic slave trade, it's postulated that many of the slaves from West Africa would have been taken from West Africa across the Caribbean into North America. And my project specifically has women from West Africa and the Caribbean at the moment. And yeah, what we're looking for is a list of genes or some type of uh, mutational profile of these women that could be predisposing them to this form of breast cancer called triple negative breast cancer. Let's dive into that, Sean, um, because you did talk about that there are different types of breast cancer, and you uh, focus on triple negative breast cancer, which does sound very scary. Maybe tell us a little bit more about this particular cancer and what makes it so aggressive. Yeah, so triple negative breast cancer is characterized by the lack of three receptors, estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, and human epidermal growth factor receptor 2, or HER2. And right after a woman is diagnosed for cancer, the tumor is tested for these three key proteins, the ER, PR, and HER2. And if the tumor is positive for ER or HER2, they can target these cancer cells and effectively get rid of them and kill them. With triple negative tumors, however, they don't have any of these receptors, so there are no targeted therapies well, one recently got approved, actually, but no like routine targeted therapies for triple negative breast cancer. So at the moment, uh, usually patients who are diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer have to be treated with standard chemotherapy or they have to get a mastectomy, radiation therapy, a combination of all three for some patients. And as you can imagine, chemotherapy just targets any fastly dividing cells in the body. So that's why many patients who take chemotherapy um, have rapid hair loss and nausea because these are where rapidly dividing cells are. So yes, they're great at taking the cancer cells out in some cases, but not the best option. So that's why triple negative breast cancer is one of the more aggressive subtypes because of lack of targeted therapies. But also we see this type of breast cancer also has a high likelihood to metastasize or spread to other organs of the body. So we typically see a lot of patients with triple negative breast cancer, they have uh, metastasis to secondary sites, typically the brain and the lungs and the liver. That's why triple negative breast cancer is so aggressive. And that's why we're trying our best to understand why this form of breast cancer is so prevalent in black women. So in the US, it's about 22% prevalence in non-Hispanic black women. But when you look at non-Hispanic white women, it's about 11%, which is quite concerning. Just to go back a little bit, do we know why it can metastasize or why it can spread so easily? That's a great question. Cancer is generally so heterogeneous that you see different molecular profiles for these tumors. So specifically for the triple negative tumors, they just have a higher likelihood to spread to those organs. Triple negative and HER2 were the two main aggressive forms of breast cancer because HER2 positive breast cancers also have a high likelihood to spread to the brain. So it's just 
the molecular makeup of these tumors. So Sean, this form of breast cancer disproportionately affects women of African ancestry, and you published a paper in the journal Cancer looking at triple negative breast cancer among people in Barbados. Now, you're from Barbados. Tell us about the connection of like this study and where Barbados comes into this, uh, this paper. Yeah, so for this study, actually, what I did, I traveled to Barbados and I investigated all uh, breast cancer cases. So in Barbados, there's one sole hospital called the Queen Elizabeth Hospital. And I looked through these big binders that included every single pathology report. It's not just breast cancer. So anything, whether it's someone's tonsils getting removed or something, I looked through all of these cases and flagged the breast cancer specific cases. And what we did was that we collected as much information from each case as possible so we can publish about the triple negative prevalence. And we were interested in this because we know that there's a high prevalence in women of African ancestry, generally speaking, but no one has ever published this within the Barbadian context. So we were interested in that. You know, I'm from Barbados. I wanted to also contribute to my country of origin as well as my supervisor. So we were quite interested in investigating this. And what we found was that compared to the US, they actually the triple negative breast cancer prevalence is higher in the Barbadian population compared to non-Hispanic Black women in the U.S. and, of course, uh, non-Hispanic white women in the U.S. as well. And, yeah, it's really concerning that, you know, that this aggressive form of breast cancer is so prevalent within the Barbadian community. So one in four breast cancer cases were triple negative breast cancer in Barbados, it was approximately 25% for the cases that had hormone receptor status noted, I should say. So we do know that triple negative breast cancers also are more prevalent in premenopausal women. So it typically is, it's, it's typically seen in younger women, which is also another phenomenon that we don't fully understand. But one such measure that um, the government could particularly be interested in is something around the lines of earlier screening. So instead of waiting until a woman is 50 or whatever the age is right now, they could potentially say, hey, we know we have these high rates of this aggressive form of cancer here. Maybe we should lower the age so that they can capture as many cancer cases as early as possible, you know, which is really what I hope my research translates to. I just don't want it to be floating around on PubMed, on the internet. I want it to be actionable, which is really my drive for doing what I do. And I think of my mom, my aunt, like all of the women in my family, not just my family, but my community, you know, and even outside of Barbados, this work is also quite uh, relevant to women of African ancestry across the diaspora. I, I was curious. So, you know, you're looking at these factors that are driving this concerning increased prevalence among Black women with triple negative breast cancer. What factors are you looking at specifically as potential contributors to that higher rate? My lab investigates a particular transcription factor called KISO. Kaiso was discovered by my supervisor, Dr. Daniel, since she discovered it 20 years ago now. Multiple researchers across the globe are investigating this particular transcription factor, this protein called Kaiso, and how it relates to other cancers. So there's a lot of evidence that shows that Kaiso 
that there's a lot more kaisal in aggressive tumors, breast, colon, lung, prostate. And specifically in breast cancer, we found that when there's a lot of kaiso in the cells, they also contribute to metastasis. So uh, we found that in breast cancer cells that we depleted kaiso of, um, when we injected them into the mammary fat pad of mice, the tumors actually didn't spread to the lungs or the liver compared to the, the mice that were injected with the breast cancer cells that had normal levels of kaiso, it spread to the lungs and the liver. Oh, interesting. Um, and we also found that there was a lot more of this particular type of the, a lot more of this transcription factor kaiso in black women compared to white women, specifically in triple negative breast cancer. So that's one angle that the lab has been working on. My project is not that focused on Kaiso. My project is looking at the entire genome, well, exome. Um, I'm doing a whole a whole exome uh, sequencing. What's an exome? An exome is one percent <laughs> of your entire genome. So you can kind of think of it as like a very tiny apple slice of the entire apple. But the exome is really important because it encodes for the protein coding regions of your genome. So all of the functional parts of your genome. So what I'm looking at is, are these regions, um, specifically from breast cancer samples from Nigeria and Barbados, and I'm looking for particular mutations that could be driving this aggressive form of breast cancer. So Sean, what treatment options are available uh, to folks that have this particular form of cancer? So generally speaking, uh, patients would just have to be treated with any standard form of chemotherapy. So platinum-based chemotherapies are quite popular. Yeah, that's generally what's what's given. It's either given before the surgery and or after the surgery. So typically, patients would also be given a mastectomy to just prevent these tumors from spreading. So even if there's a tiny, 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 small bit of tumor, they would still do surgery. But another reason why uh, this type of project is really important is because we're finding now a lot of healthcare um, providers are leaning more towards personalized medicine. And that is where this project can potentially go because it's going to identify a lot of somatic mutations. And other researchers have found that particular mutations in popular genes, such as BRCA1, patients who have these particular somatic mutations within these genes do better with certain types of chemotherapy. So even though we do know that chemotherapy broadly, as I said earlier, can impact um, any fatty dividing cells in the body, certain types of these chemotherapies will do better with people with these particular mutations. But that is so specific, right? And that is where I hope this project will, will open avenues for these types of streamlined treatments. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. The idea that you could get in right? that, that level of personalized <laughs> healthcare. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm so excited to see where your work, where your work yeah. goes. Me too. I'm excited too. <laughs> so, Sean, in addition to being a scientist, you are also a drag performer. Can you tell us a little bit about Miss Robin Diamonds? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I I believe in bringing your true self to the table. 
wherever you go, like whatever avenue you're in. And that was a, a huge challenge for me when I first moved to Canada, because in Barbados, I couldn't always be my true self. I had to wear a mask, you know, to fit into society's um, standards of a man or society's standards of of Sean Hercules. I was pretty well known in Barbados within the Christian community, at least, because I was a radio DJ announcer, broadcaster. Cool. For, yeah. <laughs> for a gospel station. And I completely loved it. Loved encouraging people with gospel music. Loved, you know, spreading the good news um, <laughs> over the airwaves. I loved it. I loved the community of it. But at the same time, I knew I was not straight. So I moved to Canada and I, I'm like, okay, well, Canada's pretty accepting. I can take the mask off. But that really did not happen instantaneously. I remember when I first moved here, I went to a drag show a few days after flying into Canada with one of my friends there. And I was shocked. I was looking around like, what are people, like, what is this? It was so weird for me. I felt uncomfortable. Literally, I felt uncomfortable. Even though I knew it was a space that I should have felt comfortable in, I just didn't because it was so foreign to me. But over time, I just started to unlearn a lot about myself, about my identity, all of that, still doing that. But over time, there was a lot more acknowledging that no one here cares that much about my life <laughs> as they do in Barbados. So over time, I had to accept that and just be myself and slowly take the mask off. That was a really long explanation to say. <laughs> Last year, I met Sam, Dr. Samantha Yumin. Ooh, the good doctor. <laughs> yeah, she was on the podcast last season. And we met at a drag show last year. And she was like, yeah, I want to do this. Science is a drag thing. Like the science and drag show thing. I don't know how it's going to work out, but let's talk more. And I was like, oh my God, yes, please. Let's let's do this. So we met, we talked a little more. So me, Sam and Keith Malbred, along with RCI Science, we started Science is a Drag. And that was the first time I was ever in drag on a stage wearing a bodysuit. <laughs> a bodysuit, high heels, a full face of makeup, rhinestones all over my body um, in a room of, it was about 150 people, I believe. And I was there talking about my science in drag. It was such an amazing experience. And that's how Robin Diamonds was born at Science as a Drag. I love, I love the origin story. <laughs> I'm really curious about this intersection because uh, at Nerd Night and on the podcast, we really love these intersections of of two different disciplines. And I'm curious about 
what you have learned in this process of taking this brand new persona that you are learning about your own identity and now bringing in your science and onto the stage and what you have learned in that process of bringing those two disciplines together? I would say that I've learned it is the best feeling ever to bring more than one of your common interests to the table. I started off by saying I believe in being your true self and doing science as a drag allowed me to do that. It allowed me to share about this research that I do it allowed me to lip sync to Rihanna. <laughs> so a quick point to note, um, we went to high school together in Barbados. Wow. We weren't in the same year, but we attended the same high school at the same time. Um, and yeah, I didn't particularly love her actually <laughs> during high school, but I adore her. I love her. I love her so much now. I have so much respect for her. Um, and my drag name, so you know, Diamonds by Rihanna was a big song. Yep. And her name is actually Robin, R O B Y N. So that's her oh. first name. But I put a spin on it by saying R A W B Y N. It's just kind of raunchy. And Robin Diamond sounds like I'm robbing diamonds. You know, it, <laughs> it kind of speaks to the drag persona of. And yeah, I feel like that's. Not I feel. That is who Robin Diamonds is. She's classy, but a little ratchet, launchy, <laughs> you know? If you watch season 12 of RuPaul's Drag Race, I would say, mm-hmm. like, Jada Essence Hall, like, that type of, of vibe is who Robin Diamonds is. Yeah. You know, it's funny, is I actually um, sign cards to my to some of my best friends. I always end it with shine bright like a diamond. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So as a this new persona that you have, Miss Robin Diamonds, is there Miss Robin Diamonds inside of what you do as a breast cancer researcher? Yeah. So Miss Robin Diamonds has been there from the very beginning. I would say a little more so now in terms of like gender is just a thing that is so weird and complicated. I'm just more aware of that after moving to Canada, I should say. Um, and, you know, just being more introspective of my own identity. So, like, when I wrote the bio for this, I started off by saying Sean is a researcher, his research is whatever, whoever Miss Robin Diamonds is whatever, and she does whatever. I just think I love that. I love, like, the the, the gender bending, for lack of a better term, of, of what drag does. And it really has made me more cognizant more um Mm. it makes me notice these things a little more so when we look at breast cancer specifically and just how how in science people always use the terms gender or sex interchangeably and i've been a lot more aware of that i would say since uh robin diamonds came around well and i imagine too also working in breast cancer research right where things are framed very much as sex and gender being similar things and how your identity is accounted for in that kind of research is generally is a conversation that is only now getting the attention that it needs and still not as much attention as it deserves. A thousand percent. I recently heard of research being done on breast cancer, specifically in the trans community as well. So like these are things that need to be talked about. These are very important points in research that need to be considered and not 
so focused on this binary is really what what I want to say. I think we're all in agreement. So let's go beyond the binary. Hey, Michael. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited to meet Miss Robin Diamonds uh, in person eventually. I know because Science is a Drag is an event that I've been always wanting to go to. So hopefully we can bring you guys out west uh, one day. Should we go to some uh, nerd herd questions? Let's get to the nerd herd questions. Why is the sky? What's at the center of a black hole? Oh, we Does anyone have free will? It's like carbon it's based. The fastest thing on earth. Why do we keep pets? It's time for listener questions. All right. If you want to get in on our Nerd Herd questions, we will post uh, when we are interviewing our guests on our socials at NerdNightYVR on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And our first question comes from Lisa, who asks, what impact do charitable organizations like CAN, Cancer Society, actually have on research? That's a great question. Before starting my project, I was always very hesitant to actually take part in a lot of these big charity donation runs for cancer, breast cancer specifically. Because I always heard people would always say, oh, a lot of the money goes to the admin. It doesn't actually go to the cancer, blah, 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 blah. And for some charities that's actually true but what i do before i personally give to any particular um charity or before i donate i specifically look to see how they actually how is their money translated to research so in hamilton specifically we have this really great breast cancer run by the jurovinsky center And I know that the money does go to labs in the Hamilton area because our lab has applied for money before and received money also. Um, And I know specifically another one that another big donation, one that I know actually goes towards research um, was a CBCF. So Canadian Breast Cancer Fund, but that was ended and it's now amalgamated into the cancer society i feel as though just do your research about this particular charity to see how they are involved in research many of them actually are pretty transparent about where they give their money to which labs they've donated to in the past they can even show you you know how labs can register to get those funds etc but yeah just have an open heart because our lab has benefited from various of these uh, types of charities. That's very cool. Yeah, there aren't so many charities where the for rats, you know, where I've been getting, <laughs> I've been getting my money, but that sounds pretty cool. And we have one other question, Sean. Uh, this one's from Petrie, who asks, is there any effort being made to replace mammograms with something less painful? I know researchers at McMaster, actually, that are coming up with particular tools that can detect breast cancer it's actually really interesting it's a physics phd student i know that's working on that specifically but it's for when the surgeon is actually doing the surgery um, so that they don't invade non-tumor areas an alternative to mammograms that's not so painful i really don't know i just know that right now it's the best, the best, but it is what is routinely used. Here's hoping for a future without, uh, <laughs> without needing mammograms. So Michael, here we are nerding out about uh, mammograms. You want to uh, nerd out about some other things? Yeah, let's do it. 
So if you want to get in on the Nerd Outs, you can let us know what you've been nerding out about, again, on our socials at NerdNightYVR. But you can also email us as well, Vancouver at NerdNight.com. Like Promode, who is nerding out about kimchi, maybe making some kimchi, eating kimchi. Russ is nerding out about the second wave of bread making. Sean, how's your uh, cooking these days in the, in the pandemic? So in the past, I used to bake whenever I was stressed, or I used baking as like some type of stress reliever, I should say. Usually banana bread, that's really the only thing I really mastered really well. Specifically, chocolate chip banana bread. (laughs) And I did that quite a few times during quarantine. But a few weeks ago, I had a very random craving for cornbread. I was also very stressed. And what I did was that I baked chocolate chip banana bread and a cornbread <laughs> in the oven at the same time. So that was my, um, yeah, my recent baking exploits. I love all the breads, all the breads at once. Uh, is there something else you want to nerd out about, uh, Sean? Yeah. So when we did Science as a Drag last year, last summer, I actually didn't do my own makeup. I was able to get uh, a makeup artist. Thank you so much, Ronelle. Oh my God, she's amazing. But yeah, she did my makeup because I knew nothing about drag makeup. So what I really (laughs) practiced during quarantine was doing a drag look, which is, you know, very different to just doing a traditional makeup look. So I did that during quarantine to help me cope. It really helped with my creativity and... I love, love it. I mean, the first few times were, it was a little rough. <laughs> Robin looked a little, um, you know, not her best, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a learning process. And, you know, it's not about the end result for me, actually. It's more about the process and how to get there um, and incorporating all of these. It's like baking all of these like ingredients at the right proportions to get your bread, doing the different small like the contouring or the the eyeshadow like at the right proportions at the right times and all of that to get your desired outcome so that's what i've been nerding out about getting my drag makeup to a point where i feel you know that that robin diamond's confidence I love that. You know, a few years ago, I decided I was because I've always been a very minimalist uh, makeup person and that I almost never wear any. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to spend the time on myself and I'm going to learn how to do oh like a full God. face of makeup. And similar, the first time I did it, oh my God. I sent a picture to my friend and they were like, uh, are you doing Tim Curry's Rocky Horror Picture Show? <laughs> I was like, oh no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I bought a very bold red, <laughs> but I really... The practicing was obviously really important, but what I really valued was honestly just taking time where it was just me, just working on myself. Like I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that's what that's what drag makeup does for me. What about you, Michael? Well, uh, you, you might not know this yet, Kaylee, and I don't know if I want to put this out there, but I may actually be looking into putting some looks on. Wait, looks Ooh. like L L 
L-O-O-K-S or Lux L-E-W-K-S? Oh, you, you know, the L-E-W-K-S. Uh, oh. So we're, I'm, we're just going to leave that there because I, I need to do some more research, I was going to say. Okay. All right. Good tease. But my nerd out is a bit, is a bit sad uh, today, but it's something that I have been thinking a lot about today. So uh, this is going to be released uh, season two, but late October, a person that I've uh, always loved, Joey Moss, died. Now, for people who don't know who Joey Moss is, he uh, is a man with Down syndrome who has been the Edmonton Oilers, basically, locker room attendant. And when I was growing up, my grandma lived in Edmonton, and in the 80s, the Oilers uh, had the best team. I had the Wayne Gretzky doll. I idolized them. And Joey Moss was always there on the bench. Just He would scream the national anthem, like just with like full force, like just like so full of love and energy. And he was always a staple there, right behind the bench. Uh, so amazing. But, you know, I've been watching lots of like tributes today, and something really struck me. They were interviewing the equipment manager, and the interviewer asked him, Why did you take Joey on to be the attendant? And he said, Well, because Wayne Gresky told me to. Wayne Gresky was dating this girl, and her brother was Joey Moss. And you know, so basically Wayne Gresky used his privilege to get Joey Moss a job. And the thing is, is that, you know, why does it need to take somebody in power to like put people in positions where they can actually thrive? People with disabilities, there is a huge percentage of people in society and they deserve to have places where they can also thrive. As we saw with Joey Moss, like he was like, to me, a member of the Edmonton Oilers. Like that's how integral he was to that team. So you know, I did a little bit of digging because uh, at my workplace, you know, we have worked with lots of organizations. They actually will work with you. They'll pay wage subsidies to give experience for people in the workplace. So if if you are unsure about your workplace's policies, you should definitely talk to whoever's in charge and human resources. There's lots of great organizations. The one that I worked with uh, was called Strive. And there's lots of other ones here in BC. Of course, there's in different provinces. They have different organizations but definitely do some research, look into how you can advocate for more people with disabilities in the workplace. Kaylee, what have you been nerding out about? Well, this will not surprise you. I've been nerding out about rats in a little bit of a different way. So a few months ago, I was interviewed for uh, CBC's Ideas, and they just released a two-part series today or yesterday about rats. So I'm in the second part, but the, the first part was really interesting because it went into a history around our relationship with rats. And what I really appreciated about it was that they actually got into some of the areas that people don't talk about, but they should talk about. So uh, when we are like, rats are disgusting creatures, they're everywhere. Yeah, well, they're everywhere because you've colonized (laughs) and they followed you. (laughs) And then they took a little bit of a turn to something that I wasn't expecting. (laughs) And they talked about witches. (laughs) And that was like really interesting to me. So Michael, you know, um, in a previous episode, I learned that my great, 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 great grandmother (laughs) was executed as part of the Salem witch trials. What? (laughs) (laughs) Rebecca Nurse. Her name is Rebecca Nurse. And she she was quite a bit older. I think she was in her 70s um, when she was executed. So long enough to have kiddos. Anyway, so they were talking about this connection between rats and witches. So in England, I think it was in the it was in the 1500s, 1587 and 1588, they were saying that there was an increase in persecution of witches 
And there was also a lot of rats. And there was also an association between rats and witches in that they thought witches had rats as their familiars. They could turn into rats. And they, they kind of say in the podcast, there's no reason to to say necessarily like correlation isn't causation. It wasn't that there were more rats. And so they they killed more witches, but maybe. Anyway, I was nerding out on the first part of this CBC Ideas two-part about rats and sort of the complicated relationship we have with them. Awesome. I actually just watched uh, The Witch, uh, which is an amazing film that came out a few years ago, if you want to learn more about the the precursor to the, the Salem Witch Trials. Sean, where can people learn more about you, your research, Miss Robin Diamonds, if they want to learn more? Yeah, people can follow me on my social media. It's just Sean Hercules, S-H-A-W-N, Hercules, on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, so that's where people can find me. I'm working on a website, actually, so that's going to be launched soon, so people can look out for that. But yeah, just uh, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, Sean Hercules. I'll be there being my true, authentic self. So you should absolutely go and follow Sean and see all of this amazing research, but also science is a drag, bringing those two loves together. If you want to hear more from us, you can follow us on our socials at NerdNightYVR. You can like and subscribe to our podcast, which helps get the word out. We're really excited to be here for season two, and we'll be back in a couple weeks. But until we meet again, shine bright like a diamond. Shine bright like a diamond.